I didn't know who my father was. I came from extreme poverty in the inner city. And so many people with my skin color think that's a black problem. And it's not. Right. It's a poverty problem. And so God's using me now to go and help with that. And what I found is that in really, really poverty-stricken situations, whether that's here in Memphis, whether that's in Kibera, the worst slum I've ever been to in the world in Nairobi, Kenya, and I'll be going back there again in August. Welcome to the Lead Like Jesus podcast. This is Karen and Chris Conley. We are so excited to have you joining us today. We have a fantastic guest with a program and a ministry that so many people are familiar with. Let me welcome to the show today, Scott Limerick. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, the ministry that you are associated with is Compassion International. They have done such a phenomenal job over the years of branding themselves and more importantly, making an impact in this world. And Scott is here as the Church Relations Regional Manager for Compassion International. So Scott, tell us a little bit about what that title means. What do you do? And then we're going to dig in and learn all sorts of things. Well, it's nowhere near as important as it sounds. But what I get to do, though, is so important. That's what's really cool about it is My job, and it's a relatively new position at Compassion, the whole church relations team was just created maybe eight or nine years ago because we realized that what Compassion does is way more than sponsor that little child in the cute picture at the Michael W. Smith concert from back in the day. For those who remember who Michael yes, W. Smith absolutely. Yes. <laughs> but it's more than that. It's about a relationship, and it's about getting people involved relationally in missions and in service. Because of that, and that's what church is, and that's really what our whole walk with Jesus is, is a relationship, nothing to do with religion. That's why we created this. So what I do is I get to serve churches. I get to help churches develop partnership plans. Each church's partnership plan looks different. And so I get to work with them and get each of their people, as many as we can, involved in missions on a relational basis. That's what I do. I've got one additional job for you. I think I need to resign as the co-host of the show because he's got the best radio voice ever. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of my story is I used to work in radio. So, oh, you know, um, well, you called it, so Chris. I've done like 12 different things. So God's moved me. And each time he does that, which this will be good for your book, your next book, is that God kind of layers your life for the next thing he has for you. And so absolutely part of that. You saying that brought a leadership principle to mind. And since this is the leadership podcast, Lead Like Jesus, we'll just go ahead and kind of jump in with that, that God is a God of sequence. What Mm. God did yesterday is in preparation for what God wants to do tomorrow. So believe that. So right now, because we know you're the church relationals regional manager for Compassion International. Okay. That's kind of the present tense and that's where God's brought you. But take us back a few steps. Mm. Let us know who Scott Limerick is before (laughs) Compassion and how God did this work in you? Well, my story is not unlike a lot of people's stories. And and I've learned that everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. And everyone has had pain in their life. And everyone has had triumph in their life. And some have had more of one or the other. And I get that. But the people at Compassion, some of my close friends have told me that, Scott, the more I hear about your story, the more I realize you're an American Compassion child. So just to give you the, gosh, you know how it is when you get older, it's so long, but I don't want to do that because I really want to talk more about who Jesus did in me afterwards. But I come from the inner city. You can tell by looking at me, I'm a white dude, right? But we were the only white family on the street. I'm from the inner city of Kingsport, Tennessee. 
in that culture, very very poor, lived in poverty. My mom, when I was 30, my mom became a Christian. She always told me that she was a Christian before then and that she rededicated her life. You're a pastor. You know how we hear that all the time. And I believe that that happens from time to time. But her life before that day and her life after that day, as a former pastor, I told her, I said, Mom, it doesn't matter when you became a Christian, but all I can tell you is, based on your life, you are totally different. Wow. And that's when she told me that the guy that raised me adopted me. I'm one of five kids. She really had no idea who my father was. So she actually told me later, because I didn't really want to pursue that. So many people listening to this have just found out the guy they thought was their dad wasn't their dad. And so do they go search him out, that kind of thing? I really wasn't interested in that because God had literally stepped in and become my father. Seriously, that sounds too cliche. Say it for me. Cliche. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. It sounds too much like a cliche. But the truth is, that's what he was. And so I really wasn't interested in that. But what I did wonder is if the guy that was my dad knew on that night that he created a child, I'd want him to know, here's what you thought was a bad thing, but God is using me now. I was a worship pastor for 13 years and a coach that coached with Christian principles. We, I come from an athletic family and have been blessed to touch, not me, but God threw me a lot of lives. And I wanted him to know things are good. You know, we're fine. There's no animosity. She said, well, Scott, I don't really know who your dad is. And I said, Mom, how many guys were you messing with? She wasn't a Christian at that time. She's now in heaven. And I told her then that I was going to share this story when she went to heaven. I would wait till then because I didn't want to disrespect. She felt embarrassed about that. But the guy that she thought was my dad raped her. So I'm really the product of a date rape. So that I say that only to say God's the person that can take that kind of a past and turn that into something he's going to use for his glory. And that's what he's Mm -hmm. done. So I've lived in a house with dirt floors. I've lived in a house with no running water. I know what it's like to use the bathroom in an outhouse, and that's a smell and a sound you'll never forget. (laughs) Um, And then God, in that way, through some things that he's done, much like, I don't know if your listeners know your story, a lot like your story, just being the first one in your family to do this and this and this, and it's not anything you've done. It's what God just had that plan set aside for you if you'll just follow the sequences. Right. And that's where we were. What I love about your story is it is such proof that God never wastes a wound. Mm. You know, that whatever those hurts are, he heals those hurts. He does. You know, and then through that healing process, he then gives us the ability to heal others. Mm. He gives us the ability to help others. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It might be 2 Corinthians. But, you know, we take the comfort that we have received from God and we begin to comfort others with that comfort. Mm. So for you to tell the story you just told about your own adoption, about your own life, and now God is using you to multiply adoptions around the world. Woo! Is that crazy? That's God. I say only God does that. And the guy that adopted me was an abusive alcoholic. Now, how many people listening to this know that story, right? Mm -hmm. This is one of the things I'm really thankful for is he took him when I was 13. He died of a cerebral hemorrhage. My brothers and sisters, it's not that we didn't love him. We did. It was just a tough thing. Everyone was crying at the funeral except for us because, you know, my mom had five kids in less than six years. None of us were twins. That poor woman was pregnant for six straight years. She really was. But here's what I love about that is since then, 
now that Father's Day is not a painful day for me, it used to be painful. It's not anymore. It's really not. God's completely healed that. It doesn't mean that I can't hear the right song or hear you say something and and I just want to start crying. That's true because there's a you know a wounded sure. spirit has that. But what I've learned is that I didn't know who my father was. I came from extreme poverty in the inner city, and so many people with my skin color think that's a black problem, and it's not. Right. It's a poverty problem. And so God's using me now to go and help with that. And what I found is that in really, really poverty-stricken situations, whether that's here in Memphis, whether that's in Kibera, the worst slum I've ever been to in the world in Nairobi, Kenya, and I'll be going back there again in August. You might be going with me, I hope, because a lot of people don't realize your family actually sponsors two kids that's through right. Compassion in Kenya. And so anyway, so whether I'm there or not, I have found, this is just my own little noticing this is that it tends to be godless it's always hopeless and most of the time fatherless and compassion what i get to do now helps with all three of those and that's what's so cool i just love what i get to do that explains perfectly why compassion Mm. is in the center of god's heart Mm. you said godless hopeless fatherless We know that Jesus can't stand for any of us to be orphans. Mm. Here's what happens, though, and and, and some of us don't recognize this, even though we have biological parents and and, and regardless of whether we had a healthy situation or an unhealthy situation, is that when we sin, that sin separates us from God and it creates that orphan spirit. Mm -hmm. And we're feeling like we're now separated from our father and our father can't stand that separation. He hates that separation so much that he gave his son so that we could be reconnected with all of his other sons and daughters could be reconnected with him and remove that orphan spirit. So God throughout history has done everything imaginable in order to remove the orphan spirit Mm. and to bring his children back home. So that's what compassion is doing is compassion is allowing everybody to tap into the heartbeat of God and to come alongside and partner in God's greater movement of bringing children home to God. Mm. And I know we're going to dive in more to Compassion and its ministry, but I wanted to just jump in before we move that direction because, Scott, what you talked about and you kind of tapped into the idea of a father wound. Mm. Um, And as we are addressing an audience of leaders all across this country, many of them in leadership positions over large corporations and small corporations, nonprofits, churches. Maybe you could speak into that father wound issue, because I think sometimes, particularly, and and I'm just going to go out as a woman saying this, I think men, sometimes they have those wounds and they just Mm -hmm. bury them or they think that it will either they ignore them or they think it will keep them from really having the effectiveness that they could. And so God has used, obviously, you in powerful ways and has allowed you to overcome that. So maybe to that man that's out there that has just stuffed that father wound for the longest time, and now he's in such a prestigious position, he wouldn't want to look weak. What would you say to him about the importance of just allowing God to have access to that? Well, thank you for asking that, because that is my heart. I just have a heart for encouraging men, boys, to grow up and be men. 
I've been working on writing a book about that, but I'll never finish it. I, well, I don't want to speak that into existence, but, you know, I, I keep thinking I'm going to finish and then I ah. But here's what I think in that regard. I was a pastor for 13 years. In that time, I, I did a lot of counseling. I have since decided, I want to say this to the men. I want you to know that God's got this thing rigged. <laughs> and here's what I think. God has seemed just throughout time, through Scripture, through history, even if you don't want to use Scripture, that's okay. Look at the history books. Throughout history, God seems to have placed the mantle of leadership and spiritual development on the man. I'm not saying there's no role for the woman, because there certainly is. But God's placed it on the man, it seems like. I'll give you an example. I can't tell you how many times I've counseled young men, young women, young couples, older couples. I could count on maybe one hand the number of times I've had people come into me with serious issues in their life that came from a good father. There's a ton of them that come from good mothers. There's just something about what God's laid on the man. And what I believe is he's got it rigged in that we can't do all the responsibilities he puts on us outside of his power. Mm. We try to do it outside of his power. And so right now, if you're leading a, a Fortune 500 company and you're trying to lead outside of God's power, before long, the thoughts of running from that responsibility are going to enter your mind. And it's why men run. But when we do it in his power... We stay. And so I tell people all the time, the natural man can't do it. Only the supernatural man can do it. And that supernatural part is the Holy Spirit coming in us. So I want to encourage the men to understand that if you've got a, a father pain, I think it's the most common pain there is. I really do. Women just seem to be naturally good. Like my wife, Kim, I'm not sure she's ever sinned. Um, and I bet Karen's the same way. Seriously. Like it you is just, remarkable. It is. It is. It's just God's given he's you. He's not going that far. You notice that. <laughs> well, he's just given most women this nurturing spirit. And he knew that. That's why when he made us and he looked at the man, he went, whoa, that, he needs that, a little help. that fella needs a little help. I want to encourage them to find a professional person to talk to, to find a pastor to talk to, to talk to me. As crazy as that sounds, I love to do that, encourage men. I'm a man's man, right? But my heart's been broken by that. I'll cry in a second now, but I'll also choke you out if you want to do that. And that's what I tell guys. I say, guys, the fact that you've got pain in there and that you cry is not a weakness. But we were taught that, and you repressed that so long, and it's going to come out some way. And many times, unfortunately, we heard this yesterday at the Acts 29 conference, that it comes out in an abusive way. And so I pray that the men will listen to that. To affirm some of the things that you just said, what we see worldwide is that the enemy will attack the men in order to remove that bond, that father-son, father-daughter bond, in order to remove that mantle of leadership. So what Compassion International is doing is they're really combating that attack. For a variety of different reasons, there's brokenness that's already present and brokenness that may not be repairable with the original family. Compassion International grabs people from around the world and makes them family. So tell us more about that. Just give us kind of that. For those that may not be familiar with Compassion International, 
yeah. give them the vision. If you're listening to this and you have visited your compassion child in one of our 25 countries worldwide and you've seen our work, you know this. If you haven't done that, and very few have, then I can tell you from someone who was a former skeptic of it, it's way more than you can imagine. Now, look. I work for compassion. I get it. I totally get that. The skeptic's going to go, dude, they pay you. Of course, you're going to say all of this stuff. But you don't understand. I was so anti the whole sponsorship thing. What I've since found out is there are a lot of sponsorship ministries, and I'm not going to name any. I'm not going to pick on any of them. But a lot of them are struggling. And I lumped them all together. But they kind of are copycat after compassion. Compassion has been around for 65 years started as a result of the end of the Korean conflict. The story of that, I can't even tell because I, I just, just crushes me. I may do that in a, in a future podcast. And I share that when I take people to see our work. So my son, Jordan, who is one of the finest men I've ever met so far, right? He sponsored a little boy at a passion concert, a Louis Giglio passion concert. He came home, and I've since found out he really does do this. He researches everything before he does it. He's 28, just gave us our first grandchild, he and his wife, Lindsay. They're incredible. They love Jesus. I know they're young enough to still be crazy people, but I get that. They're not perfect. But (laughs) so far, so good. But he came home, and I said, son, what are you doing sponsoring a kid? That kid doesn't even exist. I mean, this is a true story. And he said, no, Daddy does exist, and I've researched compassion. And you have told me my whole life to own my own faith and to go live it out. Don't be a preacher's kid that runs from God. I want you to be one that I'm sure you've told that to your son and daughter. So he said, and here I am doing it, and you're fussing at me. That's what he he told me. Ouch. (laughs) And I speak at a lot of youth conferences, and I tell the people my age and older Please stop quenching the spirit of the millennials. Quit picking on millennials. I get it. I've seen Millennial International, which is so funny. I've seen that. And there's some truth to that. But the millennials are tired of the 40 to 60-year-old generation talking about doing something and then talking about why they can't. They want to do something. And that's what he did. He did something. And I said, you're right, son. You're right. I'm sorry. My bad. I said, I thought I'd pay for it. He said, no, Dad, I'm going to pay for it. I left him alone and really bothered me that I did that to him. Fast forward, he's now a junior in college, went to UNC Greensboro, and a church hired him on staff. Because of that, he couldn't do the little part-time job or whatever it was he was doing to raise the money to pay for his child. And he calls me, he says, Dad, I've got some great news. I'm going on staff at Daystar Church in Greensboro, and part of the pay is they're going to pay for my room and board. So my wife and I didn't have to pay for that anymore. I said, great. He said, but... I can't pay for my compassion child now. Will you take it over? And I immediately morphed right back into bad dad. And I said, I knew it. I knew I'd end up paying for this. And I told you some of my story. I'm from the inner city, so we were the only white people on the street. I feel more at home in the African-American culture. I'm not vanilla ice. I'm not trying to be black. I'm okay being white, but that's just where I feel at home. And that's why I resonate with you and your church so much, because you totally are trying to be a unifier. And I love that. Thank God for High Point Church. So he tells me, he says, Dad, listen. He said, his name's Denzel. My favorite actor's Denzel Washington. He's from Africa, and you think you're black. (laughs) And I said, you got a good point there. And so I started sponsoring this kid. Well, the guy that's my boss at Compassion, a guy named Kevin Myers, unbelievable guy, goes to my church 
and I was one of his pastors. And he said, hey, Pastor Scott, don't you sponsor a little kid from Kenya? And I'm the listeners can't see this, but I did air quotes. And I said, supposedly, I said, I don't even think the kid exists. He said, no, dude, he really exists. You need to go meet him. And I'm doing a trip to Kenya. And since you're one of my pastors, I want you to see our work. Go see it. And so I went to meet him. Didn't think he existed. The day comes for me to meet Emmanuel Denzel and Billy from Kenya. And we go. It's all good. Yeah. So we go in the room. By the way, um, that doesn't happen if the child's not real. That's right. (laughs) You're right. Mm -hmm. And what he did doesn't happen if he's not real. So he comes in. He's hugging my feet, kissing my feet. And I felt probably for the first time ever the way the disciples did when Jesus did that. Uncomfortable, unworthy. I told the compassion translator, I said, can you please ask him to stop? I can't remember his age at that time. I think eight, seven, something like that. And he said, no, you don't understand. You're an angel to him. I said, I'm just a guy already struggling with the guilt that was pouring into my spirit because I didn't even think he existed 20 minutes beforehand. He says, no, you don't understand. You're an angel to him, the word he used. You've rescued him. He thinks he's alive because of you. And I went, well, well, all that. So the awkwardness kind of goes away. We connect. Kind of weird when you first meet your child. It'd be like adopting a child from China the first two or three weeks. It's kind of awkward. Well, for the first 30 minutes, it was awkward. And then before we left, I had fallen in love with him. So the rest of the week, I was looking at Compassion's work in a different way. Every child, this is one of the things people need to understand, Compassion is a child discipleship and development organization. We believe that poverty is not just a physical poverty although that is an aspect of it. We believe it's made up of four different phases. It's kind of a holistic approach to uh, ending poverty is what compassion does. And we believe, and I believe this for the person that's listening that's fatherless. I believe this for the person that's at a Fortune 500 company that's trying to lead people. And we believe that all of our issues, and poverty being one of them, start spiritually. So we believe that poverty is spiritual, and we do believe it's physical. And there's a social, economic aspect to it too. You've got to eat. You've got to have some money to do some things. But this is the part that I think you could really speak to, Chris, and hearing some of your story is it's emotional. And see, so many people right now are in a situation where they're probably the fourth generation that's done that same thing. The guy that adopted me, I was telling you about, his name was Alfred Limery. He was strange. As I remember it, all five of us kids, when we would sit and talk about it, would remember five totally different things. It's amazing how God does something with your memory so you can move along. I tell people all the time when they see some of the horror that kids see and they go, oh, my gosh, they're going to be scarred for life. I said, yeah, but I'm just telling you, God makes kids resilient more than you think. And you'll be surprised. Let God do his work. He'll use that traumatic thing in their life. And in this situation here, if you're a fourth generation, you really emotionally think this is my life. Right. I'm going to be here. Jesus is the cycle breaker. He mm-hmm. ends that. And so we believe that poverty is those four things. So when you introduce a child to Jesus, we have formation child after former compassion child that are now making huge differences in their community. Tell us that poverty started leaving their life 
the moment we introduced them to Jesus. Not when we fed them, not when we gave them some clothing, which we do, not when we gave them medical care, which we do, not when we paid their school tuition. What a lot of people don't realize is America is one of the few countries in the world where school is quote-unquote free. In most countries, you pay to go to school. So if you're in an extreme poverty situation, how are you going to go to school? Seriously. People say, oh, they need to this and this and this. We're so judgmental. We have no idea how hard it is to get out of poverty. That's true in the inner city in America. That's true in the rural country areas in America where there's poverty. And if there's a dad there, he's been abusive and that kind of thing. So we attack it from that viewpoint. So every child has a book that we keep on them with all their records, their schooling, their medical, spiritual, you know, that kind of thing. I went and looked at my little boy's book, and that's a long way for me to tell you this, but I looked in his book, and sure enough, like six months before I had gotten there, he had had malaria. Malaria is treatable, very treatable, but if you don't treat it, most of the time you die. And that's the, the health care plan they have in extreme poverty situations. We argue about health care in America. In most countries where there's extreme poverty, you know what health care is? My child gets sick, I pray he lives or she mm-hmm. lives. There's no health care. There's no none. No medicine, none of that. He had had malaria. Had he not been a compassion child, he probably would have died. So he really was alive, not because of me, but because of what Jesus was doing through me there. Scott, you gave four approaches to end poverty. I only got three, and I would be okay. I, I could just keep on going on in life and, and not worry about that. But Karen has to have all four, or I we do. cannot move I forward. Do. I understand. So let's make sure we got the four for our audience. Spiritual. It starts spiritual. You've got a physical poverty. You've got to eat, right? There's a social, economic, kind of a cognitive type, and then an emotional poverty. Just for the record, I got all four. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just weren't paying attention. And you, and listen, I've, I've also learned that at Compassion, each person, as we see the work, will may ch- they may change the way they say that, but what you'll never hear us change are the way we talk about spiritual and emotional poverty. We think the world does a pretty good job trying to attack the physical and social economic poverty. We think they do it wrong, though. We really do. If you've ever heard of the book, When Helping Hurts yes, or Toxic Charity, we believe that's true. The old saying, give a man a fish or teach him to fish, that's true. But here's the problem. You can't just teach him to fish. The kid's going to die if you don't feed him first. So what Compassion does, we are not a relief ministry. And we honestly, this is going to sound crazy. This is not a Compassion Viewpoint. This is a Scott viewpoint. I'm not a real big fan of relief ministries. I'm just not. The only time I think relief ministries are great are in times of emergency or catastrophe. What you don't realize is that if I feed my deadbeat brother, I don't have one. I'm proud of both of my brothers. But if I had a deadbeat brother and I fed him every Thursday and then my other brother fed him on Tuesday, and my sister fed him on Wednesday, and then he went to the homeless shelter and ate on Friday, why would he ever see a need to get up out of that, if you see what I'm saying? So Compassion believes if you attack the spiritual and emotional poverty and train them, they will rise up and help themselves out of that. And we know Jesus is the one doing that through the work. And so that's the part you were talking about me seeing that. So when I was looking at Compassion, the first two or three years, since I came from a business background before I was in the ministry, and I was an older guy, most people when they're hired at Compassion are younger, especially girls. Girls care more. Girls care for the marginal and the ones that they just do. Uh, guys just aren't wired to do that as much unless the Holy Spirit comes in and 
softens our heart a little bit. We're like, nah, man, it's the survival of the fittest. And so we need both. I get some of that. But what I was noticing, I just sat back and watched everywhere I went. I've been to like 10 of the 25 countries that Compassion's in. I'm an observer. I like to sit and just observe things. Everywhere I saw men actually taking part and helping in the community. Maybe it was the guy that was driving a bus or he was working, coming back and helping at the project, or he was the pastor or he was a social worker there. He was um, an accountant locally. They were former compassion children. And I've noticed that. So what I started noticing is that we were helping build men. We were helping build fathers. And you know my heart now after I shared that, why that's so important to me. And so I love that. There's so much good stuff here. We're going to extend this to a part two. But before we go to part two, would you just tell everyone in our listening audience that if they're interested in sponsoring a compassion child, the best way for them to do that? Well, if they want to do that right now, you can go to Compassion.com. It's as simple as that. We're on four continents in 25 different countries, and there's so many children that are waiting. I will say this. I don't want people to think that sponsoring one child doesn't matter. I've learned that one-on-one is how you change the world. You don't change the world throwing money at it. I know someone's going to listen to this and say, hey, I would like to give them $10,000. Thank you. We won't say no to that. One of the things that attracted me to Compassion, too, is we don't ask for money, which is so crazy. I was a pastor for 13 years, and every ministry was asking us for money. And I get it. you got to have it. But we don't ask for money because we believe it would be better if Chris and Karen rescued a child and poured into that child for the limited time you get to do it. You only sponsor the child till they finish high school in their country. It's not forever. And that $38 is providing medical care, which they would get no other way, providing the school tuition so they can go to school for the first time. That's so crazy, too. It's amazing how when you don't have something, You wished you had it, even if it's something you're not. Like in America, it's hard to get our kids to like school. In extreme poverty situations, the kids pray that they'll get to go to school because they can't. They see all the kids that have going to school because you have to have money to go to school in the other countries. And all of a sudden now the, the compassion child, because you guys are sponsoring that child, they get to go to school. So they'll tell you, you don't understand how much education means to me. Mm. Here in America, we can, <laughs> education is just readily available. So, yeah, just go to Compassion.com. Well, Scott, we can't thank you enough, not only for coming today and sharing just your heart and your story, but just for the impact that you are making. Thank you for coming again. If you are interested in Compassion, go to Compassion.com. Mm-hmm. And if you want more information of Lead Like Jesus, go to LeadLikeJesus.com. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time.